comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. Recording and this is out now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is Abe. Hello. Out now is a film podcast. As Abe and I are discussing new movies weekly. This is going to be one of our special bonus episodes, though, even though we are discussing a movie on you know a weekly basis. Anyway, <laughs> we're tonight for this um, this pre New Year's episode bonus episode we're doing. We're going to be talking about Les Misérables, the uh, new film adaptation of the musical based on the Victor Hugo novel, which stars Hugh Jackman, Anne Hathaway, and Russell Crowe, and a bunch of other people singing up a storm. Joining us to discuss Les Miserables, we have writer for the VHS Diaries, looking down and showing mercy when he can, Alan Aguilera. So it was the musical we had to watch, not the 98 version? Correct. <laughs> can you guys give me like two and a half hours? I'll be right back. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, wait. Yeah, okay. okay, cool. Okay, cool. It's only been a minute. Uh, okay, guys, I got it. Okay, okay. good. Okay. Oh, oh, hey. oh yeah, I kind of just skipped it. I kind of yeah. just skipped it. Okay. And um, also, avid musical, opera, and theater goer, the man who personally takes refuge in the sewers of France, Ken Knopfinger. How's it going, guys? Going well. Hey. All right. Let's uh, let's jump right into this. We're gonna. This is a kind. We're just kind of doing lame is and a couple things at the side. So we're not gonna do some of the segments here. But uh, like, let's see. One thing: iTunes reviews and ratings. Always good to get those, and we're coming up on our 100th episode soon. You know, it'd be nice to, I think we have like 11 reviews, Abe, right? Uh, I think so, on, on the iTunes, yeah. You know, it'd be good if we got to like 20. What if we got to like 20 reviews? What if we, or 12, or 12, one per 12 month. would be nice to, maybe 15 <laughs> would be like a, uh, like a, you know, realistic goal, but I'm gonna say 20, and when we get to 20 or 15, maybe we'll, maybe we'll like put out a prize. Maybe we'll get a prize out of something. Another, another Jib Jab comic? No, no, or a legit prize. Ah. Okay. A legit prize. Wow. I think our viewers deserve pro- or viewers. I think, see everybody's watching us right now. I think our listeners deserve something cool, and so I'll, I'll send some. I'll send, I'll send somebody. Well, wait, wait. Isn't the podcast cool enough? It is pretty cool, and it is free, and it's just it's fun to listen to. Right? Look, listen to Alan breathe. That's amazing. You get that for free. And all simple <laughs> iTunes review where you just log into iTunes. It's really simple. You give it like a star rating, maybe write down a sentence, and like that helps us out. And we get to continue doing the show for free. Like, who, for free. who loses? Who loses? <laughs> That's a win-win-win. It is. I think I've described it as that before, and I still don't know what the third win means, but why not, right? <laughs> so, okay, so with that out of the way, let's talk about some trailers here. Let's uh, talk about the Lone Ranger trailer. This is the, uh, 
This is the new film from uh, Gore Verbinski, making his unofficial sequel to Rango, of course, and it stars Johnny Depp and Army Hammer as the Tonto and the Lone Ranger. Uh, we've talked about the teaser before, but now we have a full-length trail, which features, you know, Tonto and the Lone Ranger himself much more heavily. And uh, so far, that's it. Alan Aguilera, what did you think of the trailer for the Lone Ranger? All I can say is I can't wait for the porn rendition, the Bone Ranger. Thank you. It's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> um, it looks... Oh, it looks cool. I like Gore Verbinski, so I'm really excited for the new one, uh, his new projects. I love Rango. I like him outside of the Pirates movies, even though I kind of like the Pirates movies myself, the first two. So I'm really excited with all the stuff he does. I like his movies, and him with a big budget again is just really, really exciting for me. So I'm, I'm down, and this movie, and the trailer looked great. Awesome. Uh, Ken? Well, I, um, I have no uh, personal experience with any of the previous Lone Ranger uh, media that's out there, but I just from watching this trailer, I'm really excited about it. I didn't know what to expect going into it. Uh, I really do like, again, like everyone else, I really like Gore Verbinski's work, but um, I think that it's a really neat, fresh take on it, that it's very, you know, it's like, like you said, very big budget, but it's very over the top. I was expecting a little bit more low to the ground, solemn, uh, good guy wins, but no, they're really going all out on it. And it's a new direction that I'm pretty excited to see. It, it looks really fun, and I think that I don't know if they needed to have that pirates logo because, well, they probably just did it for marketing efforts. Well, opposed to just having pirates in text on the screen, they just put the logo on screen. The logo, yeah. yeah. But it's like it would have been fun without it. I mean, it's a two billion dollar franchise. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you got to right. sell the movie, so I mean, we can talk about what well, we're talking about it right now. Um, yeah, I uh, like this trailer quite a bit too. I, I've, I mean, I could just echo your guys' thoughts. I am a big fan of Gore Verbinski, and I mean, he's making you know live action Rango, so what's not to like about this movie? <laughs> I mean, he's proven himself that he can handle big budget special effects affairs. Like, I really love his visual style in general with the Pirates movies, and now you know, I, I saw him make a western last year of Rango, so put those things together, and now you got this Lone Ranger movie. I'm happy. I'm looking forward to it. So, uh, yeah, come July 3rd, I'll be completely lined up to see uh, the Lone Ranger. But really, nobody can match his, you know, box office results and his budget that he had for The Weatherman. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great movie, too. God, I really like Corbett's <laughs> movies. Maybe it's because I have a bow and arrow. Even Mouse Hunt's really good, like, like in terms of what that movie is. Like, he makes fun movies. I like the Mexican, and that's not for personal experience. Boom. <laughs> you heard it first. From the lips of Al Aguilera, he likes the Mexican. All right, so, yeah, uh, July 3rd is when The Lone Ranger comes to theaters. So let's just move right into it. Let's get to our full review for Les Miserables. One day more. Is that Another day, another destiny. Amza. It's never ending road to Calvary. Where's the child, Cosette? Tomorrow you'll be worlds away. Who was that girl? Cosette. And yet with you my world has started. But he never saw me
So, that should have been some of the trailer for Les Miserables. This is the 2012 film, I don't know why I said the year, 2012 film adaptation from director Tom Hooper. It uh, stars Hugh Jackman. Thank you. It begets exactly right, because I'm thorough. Because years from now, when people look up this podcast in the whatever, it stars Hugh Jackman as John Valjean, a uh, convict who is in prison for 20 years of his life, 19 years of his life, whatever. People that write in, and, uh, <laughs> and um, he's he's freed from a sentence, but he's still going to be hounded by the prison guard Javert, played by Russell Grow, who's just an inspector in general. And um, Jean Valjean go he's on parole, but he basically kind of breaks his parole, and Javert kind of pursues him all the way through his life from this point. Uh, during this time, Jean Valjean takes on a a, a new identity where he. Uh, gets some more kind of higher standing in life, and this allows him to cross paths with a character named Fontaine, played by F- Fan Fontaine. Fantine. Were they the great grandfather of Prefontaine? Exactly. Fontaine, played by Ed Hathaway, um, who has a daughter. <laughs> who has a daughter named Cosette. Uh, things happen, which lead to Jean Valjean taking cus- taking custody of Cosette. Uh, years later, Jean Valjean and Cosette get involved with a, not the French Revolution, but a revolution going on in France and during the 1830s. And with Javert still hot on his feet, because he's, you know, he's, he's, he's hot for Jean Valjean. So, lots of musical accompaniment ensues. All that said, Alan Aguilera, what did you think of Les Miserables? I, I had this thing where I really, really like musicals. I'm not going to front. I like them. I enjoy them. I hate Rent, though. Um, <laughs> nice. This one isn't... <laughs> I can't stand it. I think it's a stupid show. There. Hate mail. I don't care. Um, I thought it was okay. I think that the performances by Anne Hathaway and Hugh Jackman and Eddie... Whatever his name was, were really good. Redmayne. Uh, but, yeah, that guy. Uh, <laughs> ginger. The Ginger did good. For once. Marius. Um, he's a gingery, man. And then... Um, I liked it, and then there was Russell Crowe, and I thought he he wasn't as bad as Pierce Brosnan, and that's kind of how I... Um, I, I kind of judge all music performances. Based off Pierce Mamma Mia, I got it. Yeah, I, I can't. If you're if you're better than that, then we're fine. And I thought he was okay. He was he was serviceable, but Anne Hathaway blew me away. Hugh Jackman did really good, and Adam Gentry's crazy. Um, <laughs> Friend of the show, Adam Gentry had some harsh words. Oh man, shanking him. Yeah, Adam Shankry. Um I just I just enjoyed it, uh, but I think that Tom Hooper was the biggest um, hindrance to the film. More so than uh, Russell Crowe, it's just he overdirected it when he didn't need to. His best, his best direction was just leaving the camera still for the Anne Hathaway scene and just letting her do her thing. But there are times when he's like, "Oh, I got to move the camera around and kind of be bouncy because I just need to, just to kind of make it that epic feel." When he doesn't need to, because the film on its own is fun. The story is epic. It takes place over fifty years. Like you don't need to add all this extra panache that he felt he needed to, just to kind of say, hey, give me an award, or hey, this is the movie you guys want. When, if he casted it right, he didn't need all that extra hullabaloo. So, I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, lots of pan-ass. Uh, Ken, what did you think? Uh, I loved it. So, let me just preface it real quick. I, um, Lemons Rob's one of my favorite stories, just in general. Um, I've just really enjoyed it. It's this amazing story of uh, redemption, giving second chances, and how other people, or different people react to those given chances. Um, so I, and I also love musicals, love operas, and so I really enjoyed it, but I had some, uh, issues with the directing, I had some issues with some of the scenes. Um, 
So, uh, like was mentioned before, the, it was a little over-directed. There were a couple of scenes where I actually started to feel a little nauseous when they were introducing uh, the first town that they were in. It was just cutting between people at odd beats that weren't synced up with the music. It, it was a little overwhelming at times. But once all the characters were introduced, the camera settled down, it turned into just a really beautifully done story. And um, the casting was almost completely phenomenal. Um, I had some issues with Russell Crowe. I'll get into that at a later point. But Anne Hathaway, Amanda Seyfried, uh, even Sacha Barrett Cohen, they all just killed it. And I really enjoyed what they did with it. Uh, I thought it was average. I, I don't know if I felt as though it was a spectacle that I thought it was going to be. And I, don't, I didn't really have any expectations going into the film, primarily because I had only read snippets of the play. And uh, I'd never seen any stage production or I'd seen any previous film uh, for this or a film version of Les Mis. So, uh, you know, going in, I, I didn't really have too many things to think about, but I thought that it was okay. It wasn't great. Um, and it wasn't uh, the singing, I thought, was just okay from some of the people. I mean, I think that what you guys have pointed out before, Anne Hathaway, yeah. Um, also, uh, young Cosette. Uh, that little girl who sings the, you know, the Castle in the Clouds song, which I thought was fantastic. Also, uh, Eponine, young or older Eponine, and uh, Amanda Seyfried. And, oh, and also yeah, Eddie, you know. But uh, other than that, I, I, I wasn't huge on Hugh Jackman. I wasn't huge on Russell Crowe. Um, and I, at times I felt as though they kind of clashed because I've listened to the score before, or I guess I've listened to the uh, the original London cast album like multiple times because my sister used to play it on road trips but and so I, I have this notion of what I want One Day More to sound like and when I heard One Day More in the movie I just I wasn't as affected so overall I mean the whole entire film I wasn't as affected except for maybe the last uh, the last part of the film um, for the reprisal song but other than that yeah I, I didn't think it was anything to to go home and shout about and sing from the rooftops <laughs> um, uh, yeah, in terms of, um, I guess where I'm coming from with Les Miserables, I am, I, I'm very familiar with, with Les Miserables, story of Les Miserables, <laughs> I'm very familiar with the story of Les Miserables, I, I know the book, I know the musical, and the, and the, even the various films that have taken place over the years, including the, yeah, the most recent one, the 1998 film with Liam Neeson, going to this musical, I, I guess I would, I would say I was pretty excited just because I, did, I was looking forward to it. I, I really liked what I was seeing from these trailers and just kind of the scope that was being given off from from the you know the trailers being shown. So it was kind of to my surprise that the movie didn't feel epic enough, which comes down to the direction, which we've talked about already. You like you start out with this great shot of you know them coming into the ships being pulled in and all this stuff, and it's like all right, yeah, this looks pretty awesome. But then the you know the Everything else seemed to be either a close-up or a medium shot, which was very strange to me, given the nature of the story and how much there is to cover. Yet, Tommy Hooper decided to, you know, he, when he wasn't just flinging the camera around, he had it, you know, right up in the face of everybody. So that was yeah. kind of disconcerting. Um, with that, that kind of leads to another thought that I'll get to later. But with that said, I do, I did come away liking the film overall because I do think that the performances, namely from from Jackman, from Anne Hathaway, and um, from Samantha Barks, who I liked as Eponine, and from the from uh, Marius as well, Eddie Redmayne. I think those 
are very well done. I think they they have a great they do a great job of yes singing, but also just kind of emoting in what they're given to do. And I say the same for Russell Crowe, but I have a specific issue with that that I'll get to as well. But overall, I do think it's a very it's certainly um, you know not a it, it it's called the miserable. So I mean, it is has a depressing element to it, but I do think it has the kind of thing that will make an audience kind of be you know very. Kind of, they'll get with it by the end of the movie. I think the the route, right. so there's enough rousing numbers in it to make to make it kind of a crowd pleasing film overall, and I appreciate that fact despite the problems that I do have with it. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. There was a lot of sniffling in the theater that I was at. Even the the person who was sitting next to me, I don't know who this person was, but she needed tissues after the first ten minutes of the movie. So I mean, it, it's very moving subject matter. It's and if you want to talk about yourself, you can. You don't have to you know, put it on some other person. <laughs> yeah. But again, you know, for me, I just, I don't know, maybe I was spoiled with that whole entire, you know, London cast, and I I just didn't really feel as though the voices all meshed all that well together. And I think that you talked about it with, with Russell Crowe a lot, too. It, it You know, he's got, a, he's got a very gruff voice, but then when he sings, and I know that he sings, he's got a band, um, but it just, it, it sounded not as, I don't want to say unpolished, but it just didn't really mesh well, well I'll, I'll, I'll say this. Like, we, we can mention this, too. Like, we, I think people know this already. We've talked about it before. But the film was done, like, live. The singing was done right. on this on set, you know, as opposed to, like, being kind of pre-recorded and then put in a, on top of the actors' voices. It was actually done in the, in the scenes. And that's neat, and I really like, and it, you know, it provides some naked performances that are really kind of interesting, the way you, you know, you're literally hearing their emotions come through in their song. But... For some reason, Russell Crowe seems like the one that, I, even though I know he did it live, it's the only one that kind of doesn't seem like it was done live. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Alan, Ken. Yeah, no, yeah, he seemed kind of dead on arrival with a lot of the, with a lot of his. It's just very monotone. I am Javert. Like that's kind of how his voice. Went. Like he didn't really go too many different octaves. Yeah, he was like yeah. a sing talker. So that's yeah, kind of, that's a good way of categorizing a sing talker. Although it's about about getting people riled up, and I know Abe was talking about the person next to him, which Abe don't don't spare me. It was, <laughs> but the person I'm not next gonna to me, the person next to me, uh, it was an old older white lady, and it was so loud that she's like, "Oh my goodness, it makes my ribs hurt," and I couldn't stop. <laughs> which is how which is how older white ladies talk. <laughs> yeah, Listen, if like, I can't say the word, you won't let me say. It. Let me at least do the voice wow, of whatever. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, not not to uh, not to rag on Russell Crowe too much. Just I uh, want to give my two cents and then move on from that. Um, the role of Javert is a character choosing. A, he really fits the personality. He carries himself in a way that you just really feel like he's this intimidating overseer, just paragon of justice. But his role is just out of his vocal range. And so the points when he's singing lower bass, um, lower mid bass, he sounds really good. But most of the songs are upper higher bass and so he he's stretching his voice and he sounds very much like a slightly out of tune viola which like kind of sounds like a goose so he's got this weird noise and in his voice that is really distracting at times now prisoner 24601 your time is up and your parole's begun you know what that means yes he's am free no Follow to the letter your itinerary. This badge of shame will show it till you die. It warns you're a dangerous man. Stole a loaf of bread. But but adding on quickly to what uh, Aaron was mentioning earlier is it, it 
they didn't just sing this live. Uh, something that actually really added to the benefit of this uh, performance was they actually let the singers set the tempo of the songs. So it's not like the sheet music that they, uh, in the live performance, where they follow the exact tempo of the orchestra, the pianist set the, the, set the mood, set the tempo, and they just follow via the script. They actually had a pianist accompanying them and added the orchestra at a later point. So they allowed the actors to act it out and sing and stretch out certain points to really emphasize what they're trying to say. And I think it really heavily added to the um, what they're trying to communicate because it allowed you to really hear what they're saying. There's so many uh, plot points that I had previously missed and I had no idea. Um, and even with Javert, so it, it's true that Russell Crowe's singing live it didn't really seem like he did because he was straining so much. But um, I think what killed that the most for him was the first two um, the first two times he sings, it's in the beginning of the prologue of the performance, he actually speaks a sentence beforehand. So unlike the play, they added some verbal dialogue to help, uh, help the viewers to understand what's happening. And so you get in this groove of, okay, here's an actor I know, this is what he sounds like, and then suddenly he jumps into this forced kind of goosey voice that throws you for a loop. And so it's unfortunately distracting, but overall everyone else sounded uh, very good. No. But real quick, Abe, how uh, how many times did you cry in this? Don't, don't just Never. make it other people. Well, I mean, like, I, I got misty-eyed at the, at the last uh, song in the mm-hmm. church, but other, the other songs, I didn't feel that, you know, that spine-tingling, yeah, I do want to join the revolution, which I do feel when I listen to the soundtrack, uh, not the film soundtrack, but again, like, you know, the, the play production soundtrack. So again, I, I do feel those, uh, those kinds of emotions. And that's kind of what I was thinking maybe because this trailers, uh, especially with just, uh, Anne Hathaway singing, uh, I dreamed a dream. It was very, you know, it's very emotional. It's very nice. And, uh, you feel the pain and anguish and you do, she does a great job in the film, but just some of the other songs, I mean, this, well, I will say that the, uh, when Marius sings, uh, you know, the song after all of his comrades uh, have gone to battle, that one was pretty mm-hmm. effective too. And I, I think that he, that actor, did a very fine job. So uh, not too many of them that I was uh, moved by. Yeah. Oh, you're speaking I, of I empty chairs were, and empty tables. Yeah. Yeah, that one. Yeah. yeah. I think there were three actual musical highlights in in the film, and it's like one in each act. You had the dream of the dreaming of a dream. I forget what it's called because I'm too busy sobbing through it. Yeah. Um, no, the Anne Hathaway uh, dream and dream. There's empty yeah. chairs and empty tables at the end, and then Joshua Baron Cohen and Helen Bonham Carter's uh, Innkeeper song, right? Yeah, it's so good. I thought it was really funny, and honestly, seeing them together was a nice little Sweeney Todd reunion in my head. Yeah, yeah. And I, I was like, this is awesome. Like <laughs> Sasha Baron Cohen is great when he's not playing one of his characters, but when he's in Hugo or he's in this or he's in something like that, I kind of I'm, I'm starting to appreciate that guy more and more. I, I agree with that, and I have been a big proponent of kind of Sacha Baron Cohen in these kind of these these roles that you know take advantage of his other talents aside from just you know being able to do kind of shock humor. And I I did like him in this role, and I liked Helena Bonham Carter in their role. And from based between the music, and maybe Ken, you can agree with me on this. I feel like they tone down the kind of the comic aspect of these characters more than in the stage play. Would you agree with that, Ken? I, I would very much so. Because but they, I, 
to the benefit. I would yeah, say. no, I'm saying, yeah, I'm saying that because it already is kind of jarring when you get to Masters of the House based on, you know, the fact that this move, this movie, you know, the scenes that precede that are, you know, fairly dark. So yeah. you're getting to this Master <laughs> yeah. of the House ditty and it's, <laughs> I mean, it's, and it's, it's the most, it's the zaniest scene in the film and the one that's most justifiably in need of, I guess, the crazy direction that Tom Hooper's trying to apply to the movie. Right. So it, it it is kind of jarring, but it it still kind of, I guess, fits in a sense. So yeah, I did appreciate those characters, especially because they're, you know, the villains and I don't, you know, like those people, but they did make it, you know, entertaining. So it, like they are, they're the villains of that movie, right? I mean, uh, Javert, he's the antagonist, but. The threat and errors, they're, they're the true villains of this, they're the only despicable people in this movie. And it, yeah. so it is nice to, you know, have those familiar faces that are, you know, talented actors in their own right performing these songs and knowing that I know they can sing based on, you know, they have, they've, they've done this in the past. I mean, it, it worked well having those characters. I will say, in regards to kind of which songs made me react more, I really like Samantha Barks as Eponine in this movie. I, her role, and she's like the she's the daughter of the Threadeners, actually, and uh, she kind of enters into this love triangle between her, Marius, and um, uh, the older Cosette, played by Amanda Seyfried. And there's some songs involving her that I really enjoyed, and one in particular that kind of got to me more than I dreamed a dream did in terms of that character's state. And I was I was very impressed. <laughs> mm-hmm. and yeah. Samantha, and it's, it's, oh, sorry. sorry go ahead, no, no, no. Go ahead. Okay. Well, uh, I was just going to say that uh, Samantha Bark. She... Actually, also played happening in the 25th anniversary that came out two years yeah. ago. So th- this isn't her. Uh, this isn't her first foyer. She's she just nails the role. She's just perfect for it. And so it's um just like the scene you were talking about, Abe, with uh, Marius and Cosette singing together and happening mm-hmm. in the background, and just kind of her realizing she's <laughs> in modern terms very much friend zoned, but. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's a great way to blend the two uh, the two eras oh yeah she's, she's completely friend zoned but it just devastated I want to see, see Les Miserables where it's ter- <laughs> the, the, the modern version where it said friend zone friend zone yeah no Ken just to add on to that that's exactly what I was going to bring up too is like some of these folks are now in uh, stage productions of Les Mis and you can totally tell which ones were very affecting and I think that that's great for them I do want to bring up, uh, uh, I, I thought about Great Gatsby, and I wonder why they moved it, and maybe if they were scared that Les Mis was going to steal all the thunder, but thinking about it now, like after I've seen Les Mis, I wonder, I wonder how Great Gatsby's going to be, if it completely blows everybody out of the water. I mean, that's not a musical. I know, yeah, but I mean, like, you know, just the, it's just the, it's another period film, but it's not the beautiful, like, the, the crazy way that Baz Luhrmann does things, you know, because it was going to open Christmas Day as well, and... It just was a crowded Christmas, I guess, with Django. That's exactly what it was. It was a crowded, and they had the space to move it around, so not. So, yeah. I actually got to see the Greg Gatsby trailer before Les Mis, and I was like, yeah, I want to see that. Was it the same? Was, was it, sorry, was it the new trailer? Was it the new trailer? Yeah. Yeah, the brand new one. I was like, what? <laughs> Did it still have the Kanye song in it? They do, yeah. It does. Yeah, they do. It, sound, it sounded kind of crappy, so probably. It's still- Nothing says Greg Gatsby like Kanye. We <laughs> off because that's like the official Safe House song, right? <laughs> safe, I feel like Safe House owns that song, right? They own Jay Z and Kanye. Um, anyway, getting back to Les Miserables. Um, yes, getting back. If she sings on her own, she wants the D. Thank you. Um, let me let me talk. Let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about the direction from Tom Hooper. And I don't want to keep ragging on Russell Crowe, but and this is even like a bad thing about Russell Crowe. What I'm going to say here is Russell Crowe is a really good actor. We could agree on that, correct? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. 
and uh, fighting round the way. And uh, sorry, he. Um, <laughs> Tugga's, virtuosity is my joint. Tugga's going to pull through. Virtuosity, starring Denzel from Safe House. Mm-hmm. That virtuosity. Mm-hmm. Uh, got to bring it all together. Got to bring it all everything's together. Everything's connected. Just Cloud Atlas, this one. Um, right, Abe? Yeah. We just Cloud Atlas. When, when, and, when, Abe, when Abe listens back to this recording and hears everything that we just said, because I'm pretty sure he just doesn't know, know what we're talking about, then he'll get it. Um, I'm and, something on the internet. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Russell Crowe is a very good actor. And because of that... I feel like the choice of Tom Hooper to kind of put the camera, like, right in his face, in, as he does with everybody in this movie, I think it kind of betrays some of the spirit of the musical. And by that, I mean, because we get to see this performance up close and personal, as opposed to kind of sitting in an audience and watching it from a distance, we get to kind of see some of the nuances and things that he's bringing just by him emoting and him, you know, not singing but reacting and him doing things as an actor that don't involve him using, you know, his mouth necessarily. And because of that, I think it kind of takes away from the impacts that some of his songs should have, which for a movie that's, you know, this long covering so many different plot points makes it kind of noticeable that the movie is fairly long and going over some of the same material when we can focus on other things, like possibly expanding on some of the weaker characters like Kazette, for example, who's kind of nothing. We, I think we all agreed that uh, it spent he spent too much time zoomed in on people, and there's a couple points where it was pretty jarring. But I think my favorite shots in the film were the uh, zoom outs or zoom ins, just the set pieces. Like, for example, just before the title shows, it shows Jean Valjean marching out of the church, and uh, it just zooms out, pans out around the scenery. It's just a beautiful setup it, that actually gives that epic feel that we were expecting from it. So I don't think he, he fully missed um, the zoomed out theatrical epic uh scenery that we're expecting from it but you're right i do think that a lot of the actors and actresses were uh, robbed from spending most of their screen time zoomed in yeah by wall oh no please continue. well I, I feel like another example is like when uh Cazette and marius um first kind of meet up and the way that scene shot like you're supposed to from that point you're supposed to believe in their romance but i don't really i didn't really get a sense of that she's the one for him right away just because of it, the way it's kind of shot you're just kind of like Here's two people, and we focused on them being right here together. There's no kind of, not necessarily an epic sweep, but there's no kind of, like, way for the ca- The camera doesn't kind of, you know, take you out and, like, show you this. I'm <laughs> using my hands to visualize this. It doesn't kind of give you a, a proper, I guess, visual of these two coming together and being in, truly in love with one another. It just kind of presents them right up close as they're singing this song that just kind of happens for because they saw each other once. And I think that goes back to something that Alan was saying, which is like when he when he focuses on Anne Hathaway early on, it's like it's perfect. He doesn't do anything. She's just there. She's acting. She's emoting. You can see, I think, like the upper half of her body, and it, it's really effective. I think one of the other things that is going to the point that you guys bring up is when Eponine is singing her song, her solo song. It's like if he had shown a wider range just to show how alone she really is, I think that would have been greater. I can agree uh, with that. But, yeah. But it's it's dark. She's singing in the middle of the night, and she's just really sad. And all of a sudden, it's like, I'll just shoot her in the face, not not literally, but but yeah, no, I know, I know what you mean, and I know what. Well, it's, that's it's, the sequel. Yes, exactly. Yep, Eponine gets shot in the face. That's the. It's a very <laughs> elaborate title. But uh, Lim is part two. Still missing. Still missing. Still But but to take what you just said, and to take what Ken said in terms of. They do show some shots of, you know, this 
kind of the scope of things, but they don't focus on it. And that's no. right. and that's kind of what gets back to what I was saying to begin with. I mean, the movie has a chance to be so much more grand, has to present much more grandeur, and it chooses not to. And that's kind of disappointing because you have all of France to show off, and yet we're we're so focused on things, and even the establishing shots are you know kind of cut brief. It's just. It seems like it. It seems like it's too much in too much of a hurry to get through a lot of plot, which it does have a lot of plot to get through. But it's it's not letting me appreciate the fact that there's so much movie to take in. It's just it's it's just focused on being this weird. It, it reminded me a lot of like uh, Alan, you get this like a lot of like or even Ken like Sam Raimi camera moves or like Barry Son early Baron Son Barry Sonnenfeld camera moves where it's just like intense tracking shot that like just moving all over the place very. Like, like Men in Black, the opening scene for Men in Black. No, it's like Tom Hooper is raising Arizona. <laughs> like, it's... Uh, like, it's yeah. the, the, the camera, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The camera's, like, so, like, it just wants to move so much, and then when it sits still, it sits right next to you, so it's, like, breaking, it's breaking your personal bubble. Like, it's right there. So, well, do you think that the camera was trying to emote because it just wanted to dance? <laughs> <laughs> so, now, to say all this, I still do like the movie. I do think it's a good movie, and I do think there's so much good in it that it's hard to deny the fact that there's... There's a lot to present and, you know, be fond of because I think there are great performances here. And even even if Russell Crowe's singing voice isn't, like, the greatest – it's not even that it's bad. It's just kind of different from everybody else's. I still think his actual, like, acting work in this movie is very good. I think he presents a, a, a good opposing force to Jean Valjean, both men who represent, you know, similar things but have gone off, you know, different sides of the coin here. So it's – Listen, if, you're complaining about, if you're complaining about Russell Crowe, just imagine the role with Chris Klein, and it'll just be like, all right, well. Oh, my God. <laughs> with Chris Klein. <laughs> what is he doing character in uh, French? Yeah, movie. I was watching it at some point. I was like, you know it would be awesome if Chris Klein played every role? Uh, oh, it would be just... so good. It would be so dumb. <laughs> Sorry. So I want so, to ask uh, the folks who who seen the stage production uh, – does this, is, is this film, like, are they just impacting all the songs, like, layer by layer, layer by layer, or is it actually a pretty good, steady pace? It's a pretty good, steady pace. Okay. Um, something that, I, it's funny you bring up pacing, that's one of the things I like most about the uh, movie, is that um, the biggest downfall of the live performance is the pacing of it. You have a hard time following it, and there's a couple points, uh, like, for example, uh, in Jean Valjean's song, uh, Who Am I? It has three separate scene changes in a three-minute song, and you're just struggling to keep up with what's actually happening. And so you just can't do it. And so what they did in this is they actually added some verbal dialogue, they added some written text, and they uh, helped set up scenes. So it, it, it you're, the camera's able to cut to the next scene quickly enough that you are able to follow them. You're able to get introduced to these new locations and follow what they're actually talking about. And so it actually. Um, they actually did. They cut out some of the songs. Yes. Uh, excuse me. Some, some sections of the songs, but overall, the pacing was very much better handled in the movie than the stage performance. Okay. I um I agree with that. At the same time, though, and this kind of gets to another kind of I guess negative to the film. I feel like it peaks after Anne Hathaway's after the first hour, basically after Anne Hathaway's character is no longer in the film, and. By peak, I don't mean it gets, you know, like, progressively worse, but I do think it doesn't get better than after the first hour of the movie. I feel like it kind of hits a plateau and maybe goes down a little bit just in some areas. But well, this... but, but, but my, reason, my reasoning from that is I feel like 
after that first hour, the movie's in a big rush to kind of get a lot of plot points across, which it does mm-hmm. well enough, but there's so much story to tell that it feels like I'm just being hurtled from scene to scene in terms of trying to accept these various things right. that are going on, in the, and especially when you're introducing, you know, three or four or five new characters. I mean, there, there's a lot of story. Yeah, and, and the movie that's how I felt, too. That's why I wanted to know yeah. how the pacing was in the play, because it felt as though it was really rushing all these songs together to bring you to this somewhat climax toward the toward the end there. Mm-hmm. So and, that's why I'm curious. And what, because of that, it kind of relegates Jean Valjean to the background for, like, a lot of the second act of this movie, which I found kind of interesting because it's, you know, his movie, but we're kind of more focused on a lot of more things because of how many things are being introduced to us in this the second and third act of the, of the film. Yeah. But well, the, the, I guess to just wrap up the answer to your question, uh, the, the live performance, it feels much more rushed in the second act. Okay. I actually usually very much agree with Aaron that the performance peaks in the first act, but I just felt that um, John, uh, Hugh Jackman and Russell Crowe's performances just weren't quite up to snuff. So actually, uh, different from you guys in that, I thought the second act was much stronger than the first. Because I felt like Anne Hathaway really carried the first act, but everyone else was so phenomenal in the second act. And the pacing was done so much better that I actually really cared about the cause and wanted to join in the revolution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, I was, I was a bigger fan of the third act, but I think the thing that makes this movie not good but not great is the pacing. Because after the first hour, after with the Anne Hathaway sequence and everything, I was like, oh, okay, so we're almost done. Oh, balls, we're only a third way through. And then, you know, I just, all right, all right. Because, like, with Django, Django's about the same running time. Didn't even feel it. With this one, you're like, this is this is... This is fucking long. <laughs> so, I was like, all right, let's calm down, let's go. But dude, like after after the first act, I'm like, that was a, that was a that was a heady hour. I got another two of this. All right. So uh, <laughs> so so having gone through this at this point, let's uh, let's for for those listening, let's go to a little. We're we're gonna go to a little more spoilery territory. So we're gonna talk about more things that occur in the movie that you know would you know essentially ruin the story for if you had no idea what was going on or. Right. We decided to listen to a Laban's and Rob's podcast without seeing the movie. So just putting that in mind, because I want to tell a story about what happened during my screening. Um, so, spoilers on now. Um, basically, after Fan- Fantine dies... Uh, Fantine. <laughs> I keep saying Fantine. Fantine dies. Fanta. After, Don't you want to? After, yeah. after Great Fanta dies, the, um, the fire alarm went off in my theater. Oh, oh no way. Yeah, the fire alarm goes off in my theater. I'm at the Arclight in Hollywood just for reference. And um, it's, it's, it's like as Master of the House is starting. And so I'm like, and so like alarms started going on. I'm like, well, this is kind of weird. I'm like, I don't think this is part of the song. And then suddenly it's, everyone get up, get out of the theater. So we're all rushing out of the theater. And so we stand outside for like 15 minutes. And uh, we're like, what's going on? There turned out there was like a fight. We were like in the down, there's like, there's like three floors in the arc light there. We were on the downstairs floor watching the movie at our screening. And the upstairs floor, there was a fire in one of like the popcorn machines. I knew it. Someone burned popcorn. That's yeah. all it was. What yeah, it was. There's a, there a fire in the popcorn machine. <laughs> the dorms all over again. So it caused the fire alarm to go off. And so eventually they let us back in. And so they paused the movie, but they kind of rewound it a bit. So where we when we got back into our screening, it was the it was the scene where Fontaine dies again. Wonderful. It was literally like it was literally her on the bed with her face like going. She's like. Ah. 
and she dies. And I'm like, wow, this is hilariously dark. And that was, it was the most amazing thing in terms of exactly where to start the movie off. It's like, oh, uh, this, this, this great scene of, of Anne Hathaway's death rattle. Do you think the employees did it on purpose? I feel like they probably did. I, but yeah. I feel like that signaled to me, of like, yep, this is where the movie peaked. I guess I, I was more secure in my thought of that after that happened. So for Eponine, you know, her character is off pretty easily. I mean, there's only like a few scenes with her. Uh, did you guys feel differently watching the stage production? Like, do you feel as though her character, like, do you feel saddened? I didn't really feel that saddened. I'll, okay, I'll say this. Regardless of the stage production, it did hit me when she died in the movie. That's the only, that's the only time, besides maybe the end where I was kind of like wrapped up in it just because like, wow, this is cool. Like the, the Eponine scene was the only scene where I actually like, my, my, my eyes got a little watery. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, it's a great song together too. The song is fine, but like, you know, before that, it's just like, oh, well, I guess I'll take one for the team and. Surprise! She pulled the gun. I was like, "Oh no!" <laughs> it caught. It, I, yeah. I'll say this: I was so I I so I so much appreciated what Samantha Barks was bringing to the movie that I didn't really think about what was going to happen to her character. So I was I wouldn't say I was I wasn't necessarily surprised, but I was more like <gasps> like I guessed. I was like, "Oh no!" <laughs> I forgot. I went to thinking this was going to be the end of her. I still had time to get with her. Like I don't know what happened. Ebony, no, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, the. The stage performance, it's, uh, I felt, even, I'd say, even less attached to her than I did in the oh, movie. Wow. It, okay. it, right, so. It's her acting that sells it. Yeah, um, her acting is. I think it's, again, because it, of, I mean, despite issues with it, Hooper's direction to kind of, you know, you're right there with her. It does help yeah. somewhat in that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, she's just so good at making you feel uh, making you feel her love for Marius that, you know, when she spent, the little time she spends with him, it's, you can tell she's just fully infatuated. Yeah. And so, and but also in the uh, stage performance, her death was a little bit more random. She didn't just take a gun and pull it into her own chest. It was she was more picked off, yeah, um, trying to oh, save cool. Marcus. Okay. So it was a little bit more dramatic in that regard. But no, I, I would say that the movie I was far more attached to her than I was. At the Especially because you know, point. as much as I think Amanda Seyfried's talented, she doesn't do a lot in this movie, right? I'm not. I'm not I think she sits and then she stands to give a note, but, and then she sits no. More. Adult cassette's kind of boring. Yes, and she is. <laughs> I mean, she, there's no real character for her, and so yeah. So like, meanwhile, I have this other character who's like pouring her heart out in the rain, and I'm like, well, I'm with this girl, like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no question. <laughs> no question. But uh, Amanda Seyfried's voice is so nice; it's like so light and fluttery that I feel like right. this is the only time I've actually really liked adult cassette. <laughs> Before, I was just, I wasn't really interested. She, she's kind of boring. There's not much to her. She's that beautiful love interest that's pure, and there's no other development. Yeah, she's like, Joanna um, from Sweeney Todd. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly right. Boom. Yeah, that's a good analogy. But in this, like, I don't know, just the way, the way her voice sounded, the way it matched up with Marius's, I actually was very much involved in her character a lot more. Yeah. Or, okay. I guess, found her more of a love interest so, than this one. So in, so in, you know, Still Mizzen, when Marius and, <laughs> and, and Cosette go on, like, a treasure hunting adventure to Morocco, you know, well, I'm sure she'll have a lot more to do. No, they're trying to find uh, Eponine's killer. That's what it's about. That, oh. Well, yeah, he's retreated to Morocco with the treasure that he stole from the, oh, from, from the French castle. Yeah. <laughs> like he buried it in Morocco, <laughs> so they have to go over there. No, you find which, out which that leads... Joubert actually handed uh, Hugh Jackman a uh, treasure map. Exactly. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. on his, well, he left it on the on tattooed on his skull. So when Jean Valjean finds his body in the sewers, it, we can go. With, okay, that's plenty of that. <laughs> Wait, at what point does Jean Valjean go to Alaska and get adamantium onto his 
skills. Was it before he becomes sheriff and the hockey coach of that town? Mr. Alaska joke? Wow. Mr. Alaska, directed by Jay Roach, who did Game Change and uh, Recount. Anyway. uh, And the uh, Awesome Powers movies. Um, And Meet the Parents. And Meet the Parents. Anyway, any other thoughts on uh, on Lee Miserazzo we can go into? We can talk more about Anne Hathaway and how she dies in this movie. Does she die? She dies in this movie. Spoilers. I was very disappointed that they said, oh, come see a shaved Anne Hathaway. That wasn't what I expected. (laughs) It never is, Alan. But uh, yeah, I guess anything that is, yeah, I I really wouldn't, I didn't expect her to show up in the the last song, so that's why I was surprisingly touched because her voice is very good and the way that that scene is shot is it's very well done. See, that was so. a, that was a scene that was kind of acknowledging the grandeur that this movie could have, and that's something it, I was exactly. I, I wanted more of in this film. That's my ultimate kind of disappointment is that well, it's because the direction is my ultimate disappointment, but the fact that you have a movie like Les Misérables and you have you, you're you're literally you're on the cusp of being shown greater things, and the movie just decides not to do that. That's kind of why I don't love this movie. I I certainly appreciate it, and I certainly think it's going to be. I, w- I will not be disapp- I will not be unsatisfied by it getting awards and getting you know praise from audiences because I do appreciate what it tried to do and I just think it's actually just overly ambitious in what it's trying to do. So I certainly like the movie. I just I wish I could have I, w- I wish I could have loved it more. So. Yeah, I do have a casting tidbit. I do like the casting of Amanda Seyfried as Anne Hathaway's daughter because they both have the same kind of characteristics of big facial features, tiny head. Because, like, big eyes, smaller face, big ears, you know, it just works. I mean, it doesn't make him look ugly, I'm just saying. They look like anime characters. No one had, yeah. no one had It's it. like the great-grandmother would be Susan Sarandon. It is 19th century France, so nobody had bangs, so that's good, right, Alan? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, let's move on Let's move on to our rating, then. I think we've discussed the Les Miserables thoroughly. Sorry, Les Miserables thoroughly. And um, so let's get to our rating. Each week and out now, Fair and Abe, we try to rate movies based on when you should go and see them. It, by the way, thank God this movie's not in 3D, right? This, that would have been terrible. Oh, thank God. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what entertainment that would provide. I, but you, I mean, the way the camera's moving, you could have easily seen some studio saying, you know what, we should convert this. <laughs> you know what Sean I was thinking when they considered making it 3D was right before the credits when he rips up his parole papers and it flies off in the wind I, I, the whole time I was thinking this is a 3D shot I think there's, there's a, lot, a, of, I think there's a lot of shots in this movie that could have easily like suggested like someone in a studio could have easily suggested this movie be in 3D and provided plenty of examples because of that yeah. there, there's, plenty of, there's plenty of fodder for them to be like you see this is why we should do it in 3D guys but uh, yeah. anyway, uh, okay. our rating scale for when you should go and see this, IMAX, the theater, to dollar theater, Netflix, HBO, TV, or forget about it. Alan, where would you put it on that scale? I guess, well, it's not great. It's not deserving of all the hoopla, but you know, go see it in the theater because it's still like a big movie. So like, there's going to be that big epic scene at the end. Like, it's just the epilogue is cool enough to see it on the big screen. And, they're, and, the mo- and when they're pulling in the boat, like, it's cool. I'd say go see it in the theater. That's why I like. Not... That's why I like our rating scale. Yeah, Ken. Uh, I would give it a go see it. Um, simply because it's uh, just the sound. Where? Where? The visual. Where? Oh, excuse me. Excuse me. Go see it. I was implying a regular movie theater. Okay. Um, okay. It, or a dollar theater. It's it, anyone who's not really a fan of musicals isn't going to be changed by this at all. Anyone that really loves the music from this will be very happy with the uh, movie. It doesn't bring too much new to the table, I'd say. But um, I would say it's definitely worth a watch because it's, uh, it does have a quite an epic scale. The music's beautiful. Uh, overall, it's a very emotional experience. 
that's a dollar theater, and I think that the uh, the the quality of the music and the the sound merits like a, a theater of sound. But I don't think you really necessarily have to rush out and see it immediately. I I agree with Alan. I think it is I think it is worth a theater. I mean, matinee maybe, but um, I do think that the movie has regard despite my issues with the fact that it just tries to hide its scope, it does present some scope like scope. It does present some scope that makes it worth it, and just because it's it's a big large musical and I feel like yeah, I, I'd see this on the, in a theater I think it's deserved of that I mean it's not the best musical I mean oh, yeah. Perfect was better <laughs> I didn't see Pitch Perfect I just wanted to make a joke okay, cause I, 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 I'm in the minority of people that didn't like Pitch Perfect that much but yeah I love Anna Kendrick except now Samantha Barks has kind of replaced her but um, anyway <laughs> hey, let's do a little movie callback Call back, call back, call back. This is where we bring up some movies that we may have thought of while watching a movie of the week. So, uh, Alan, any movies come to mind? Uh, Sweeney Todd, Les Mis, um, like the 98 Les Mis. Yeah, yeah. Really yeah. Um, like, kind of a <laughs> little bit of Ratatouille because it was French. Uh, <laughs> I thought of Amistad because of the boats. Uh, um, Gladiator because, you know, Anne Hathaway's a foxy. Tiger. Um, no, it's not. <laughs> Were you explained by Russell Crowe? I don't understand. <laughs> yes, yes, she just wants to bite his head off. Um, you know, stuff like that. I kept thinking of King's Speech because it was Tommy Hoops' movie before. Tommy so Hoops. Like, Tommy yeah, Hoops. For a stutter. I was waiting for a stutter the entire film. T Hoops, he scores. T Hoops. And I was thinking about Phantom of the Opera and all these other ones. I even was thinking of, um, like, even my state, like, stage performances. I was just kind of equating it to like that 25th anniversary kind of thing. So I just kept calling back to that. I was like, that's different. Mm-hmm. That's different. Um, but that's about it. I don't know. I was mostly just thinking about Sweeney Todd because I was like, I was going to see Sweeney Todd right now. Yeah, I actually agree. Sweeney Todd was a movie that came to mind. And eventually when I was watching, I was just like, this is like Sam Raimi was like seat of photographer on this movie. <laughs> that's kind of weird. <laughs> so I was thinking of like, I literally thought of Raising Arizona too. I was like, what if Nick Cage just popped in right now, just running through the <laughs> <laughs> Oh, 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 really quick. Barry Lyndon. I kept thinking about Barry Lyndon and History of the World Part 1. Okay, go. Okay, thank you. Ken, any movies come to mind? Uh, for me, it was mainly just Sweeney Todd, like we already mentioned. Uh, Master and Commander came into mind for, like, a couple brief moments. Yeah. Uh, just, like, generally either with Russell Crowe or the ship. Do we, do we uh, shout out Master and Commander enough on the show, Abe? Because that movie's a... No, we don't, actually. Fantastic. I think that's, like, I think that's, like, only, like, one or two f- references ever. But but that movie's fantastic, Abe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <absolutely. laughs> But anyway, yeah, sweet, Todd. All right, let's, uh, what time is it? Oh, Aaron, do you think we have some time for some games? Oh, it's like your own castle in the sky. Yeah, it was, it was a depressing song this week. All right, guys, <laughs> I have a new game. Let's do it. It is called The Les Mis Quiz. Oh, Okay. <laughs> yes. I have assembled a lot of multiple-choice questions regarding Les Miserables in all forms, not just the musical, maybe the book, maybe the movie, who knows? And mainly the musical, actually. But um, <laughs> I'm just going to kind of read the question and read all of the options, and whoever shouts out the answer first uh, and gets it right, they get they get the point. And um, okay. if you shout it out once, you can't shout it again. I guess that's the only rule. Okay, gotcha. Okay? You ready? So, wait. I can shout out the same answer multiple times. Shut <laughs> <laughs> This is worse than the commentaries. Okay, let's do this. Here's here's the first question. Who is the original book author of Les Miserables? Victor Hugo. Victor Hugo. 
Alan nailed it first. Yeah, Alan. What's up, champ? I put it. I put a little A. <laughs> I put a little AL. I'll put a little AA. So I know that you got the point there. I don't know why I need to read this out loud, but I'm doing that. I do have. There are Thanks multiple choice ones, but I guess if you know the answer offhand, although the pro, these next ones you probably won't. So here we go. Yeah, I was waiting for a letter to go okay. up there, so we can just shout it out if we know it. Yeah, if you know it. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Okay, here we go. Here's the next. Who is the composer of the musical? Claude Michel Schoenberg, Andrew Lloyd Webber, Rolf Loveland, Mireille Mathau, or Alain Bublé? I want to say A. Well, you got it, Abe. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Wow. Claude Michel Schoenberg. Yay. Okay, here we go. When and where does the musical did the musical first open? 1980 London West End, 1987 Paris, 1980 Paris, 1985 Paris, 1983 Paris, 1980. Ken uh, got the point. It is, it is 1980 Paris. Oh, Paris. Good job, Ken. You're, you're all on the board right now. Close, Yay. close yes. game, guys. Close game. Good thing there's 20 more questions. Oh, Jesus <laughs> I'm ready. Okay. Which character below is not a character from Les Miserables? Cosette, Eponine, Armand, Marius, or Enjoros? Armand. It is, it is Armand. Boom! Oh, not that's not the innkeeper? Enjora, en, Enjoros? That's, the, that's, his best, that's Marius' best friend guy. Or whatever. That guy. Well done. Alan. What's up? Nothing Double up. A. Type in your name. <laughs> Here we go. Which which character below exists in all generations in the story of Les Miserables? Jean Valjean, Marius Pontmercy, Javert, both no, one and John. two, or both one and three? One and three. One and three. Both one and three is the correct answer. That's another Alan. Triple yeah. That means I give you free toes. It does, yeah. All right, here we go. <laughs> Thank you for that. Okay. Which song is the lyrics to the lyrics below? Okay, which song do these lyrics belong to? Oh, my friends, my friends, don't ask me what your sacrifice was for. Empty chairs and empty tables. Yeah, the empty chairs and empty tables. It is empty chairs and empty tables. Alan screamed out first. Dude, Alan, you're, like, destroying. It's okay. What's up? I'm losing a technicality. It's fine. Yeah, you would. (laughs) Here we go. Which of the following songs did not exist in the earlier French version? Empty chairs and empty tables. Bring him home. Castle on the Cloud, A Heart Full of Love, On My Own. Heart Full of Love? I want to say Castle on the Cloud. Go B. None of you are correct. It is On My Own. Oh. Really? really? Yes. That's surprising. All right. Here we go. So no one got that. So I get a point. <laughs> That's how you get to listen to Alan. Got the point. On that technicality. It's my play. If I win because of that, it'll be amazing. I don't know how I could, but I will. Which character is the leading singer of the song Do You Hear the People Sing? Enjoras, Jean Valjean, Marius, Javert, or Gavashi? I want to say uh, Enjoras, A. Abe is correct. Damn it. Here we go. Which of the following song is a song in Les Miserables? The Sad Tale of Bouhomes. The confrontation. The confrontation. This is the moment. I dreamed a dream, or both two and four. Abe, you're the one that didn't scream out a quick answer. 
Do you have a guess? <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to say E. Wait, 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 wait. It's both two and four. Yeah, if you are correct. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Am I on par with Alan right now, or am I one behind him? You're one behind me. Okay. Here we go. I'm going to read all the answers this time. Maybe you guys should probably just listen to some of these for now on. Yeah. <laughs> I'll do that. Who is the parent of Cosette? Actually, probably don't need to read all these. Fantine. <laughs> yeah, that was like... <laughs> you nailed it. <laughs> or even I tied. Ken is, Ken is super upset right now because he was waiting for you to read all of them. I know, seriously. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is an easy one. Okay. Damn it, Abe. Here we go. Okay. I'll kind, of, I'll kind of hint at if you, I need to read these or not, I guess. <laughs> so go on okay. okay, we still have plenty more. What is the name of the cafe of the base of the revolutionary students? XYZ Cafe, Cup Cafe, C-U-P, ABC Cafe, L-E-S. ABC. It is the ABC Cafe. Alan, you got it. Mm-hmm. Nice. I don't need to finish. The five cafe. There wasn't going to be an A or B on that one. Okay, here we go. Which role did Filipina singer Leah Salonja play in all kinds of performances of the musical? Hint. Fantine, Eponine, Eponine. Cosette, both one and two, both two and three. Two and three. One and two. One and two is correct. Yes. on the board. Abe, notice how I said hint before I got reached. Yeah, I should have listened. It's also pronounced Leah Salonja. Okay. Leah Salonja. Yeah, she's Filipino. Yeah, got it. Yeah, that means that means I'll pronounce it whatever the hell I want. <laughs> there we go. This will be fun for me. What is the name of the French version of the song "A Heart Full of Love"? <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Le four a bonheur, comme un homme, j'aurais. This is awful. <laughs> I'm gonna go with my Spanish and say "El Corazón del Amor." That's Spanish, man. I know. <laughs> I don't speak French. <laughs> I'm going to say B. Wait, so... Again? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. I was too busy laughing. Le cour, yeah, same here. Le cour à <laughs> Comme un homme. J'avais rêve. Whenever you speak French, it sounds like someone hit you in the stomach. <laughs> Divorce table nudes. D. I'm gonna go with A. It is A. Alan, you got it. Yeah. <laughs> well, none of us know French apparently. Yeah. There's only one more French question I think in this set of questions. Here we go. Here's the next one. What is the ending song of Act One in the French version? Let me read the answers. Empty chairs and empty tables. Do you hear the people sing? One day more. In my life, a heart full of love. Oh. Heart full of love. One day more? That's uh, wrong. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to say one day more. I mean, I'm a heart full of love. It is, do you hear the people sing? <laughs> oh. In the French version. Aaron gets... So Aaron gets a point? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, Aaron's on the board. Building up, guys! <laughs> Here we go. Okay, this one seems very specific. In the 10th anniversary concert, there are 17 singers from different countries... Sing, sing the song. Do you hear the people sing at the end? Which character are those seventeen singers in their country's production? That's weirdly phrased. 
Jean Valjean. Yes, Jean Valjean is Jean Valjean. A, you got it. Who else could it be? <laughs> all right. Who? All right. I got to read all these two. Who ever played Marius in the West End production? Aled Jones, Michael Ball, Josh, Michael Ball. Josh Groban, Mario Frangoulis, or more than one of the above? So, more than one what? of the above. Ken is correct because you waited. <laughs> <laughs> and I was slowly finding a way to lose this game. <laughs> Come on, Alan, I'm pulling for you. You are. Well, this is a good one. So just kind of let it go again. What is the relationship between, un- how do I say, Anjoras and Marius, respectively? Best friends. Father, uh, I'm going to read the answers. Father and son, son and father, leader slash friend and member slash friend, member slash friend and leader slash friend, or a gay lover male part, gay lover female part. Uh, D. Uh, D. Well, I, I said D friend, first. Gabe? So yes. uh, whichever leader, friend, and then follower friend. You got it, Abe. It is C. Leader slash friend, member slash friend, member slash friend. So is Marius the leader? No, right? No, he's buddy. Oh, who I said first. I said Andreas and Marius. Oh, God. Thank you. <laughs> now Abe can edit all that. Here, okay. yeah. Here we go. I got... Shut up, I oh, there geez, it is. I, have, going. I still have way more than I thought. Um, How many more do you have? Uh, at least nine. <laughs> I, this is I, think, I, the movie. I think at most nine. Okay. What song do the lyrics belong? Do these lyrics belong to? Oh my God, is in French. <laughs> what, what song do these French lyrics belong to? Here, <laughs> I'm gonna read the French lyrics, and you have to name the equivalent song. All right, yeah, more than just sort of like threw in a tune that you thought was the song. I can't wait for this! I'm so excited to read the French. I'm gonna read. Go. I'm gonna read the answers first, and then I'm gonna read the lyrics. Okay, how about that. Okay, cool. Bring All him right. home. I dreamed a dream on my own. Castle on the Cloud, or None of the Above. Okay, here's, here comes the French lyrics. Oh, mes amis, pardonnez-moi d'être là de vivre encore il est dead. None of the above. It is None of the Above! Ken nailed it! Oh. <laughs> you had pardon me in there. I was like, what? <laughs> it's not in any of those. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Regarding the previous question, what is the name of that song in French? I don't. I'm not gonna skip that one. That's, oh, yeah. hang on, hang on. I think I know that. Master of the House. Uh, I assume that is actually because it says so deposit. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna Google this answer, and I'm gonna see if that translates to Master of the House. And if Ken gets it, he gets two points because that's pretty impressive. Boom. Boom. Bullshit. Technicality. See how? <laughs> see how? I'm trying to lose. Technicality. Leave. Guessing one of 49 songs. I'm trying to lose this game. Uh huh. Wow. You, uh, you right. killed it, Ken. Boom! I knew it. <laughs> okay, Ken gets two points. Look, Ken gets two points. <laughs> so just putting Ken times two. Okay. Me, me, me. Which character has the same. What? Which character has the same actor in both the West End and Broadway production? Marius, Jean Valjean, Cosette, Anjos, or Eponine? Oh, that's Eponine. Uh, Marius. It is Jean Valjean. Yeah. Really? Oh, 
Aaron gets a point. Gets a point. <laughs> what? Okay. And because the answer was Jean Valjean in the previous question, here comes the next question, which relates. And what is the name of that actor for the previous question? Michael Ball, Judy Kuhn, Philip Quast, Calm Wilkinson, or Leah Salong? D. Michael Ball. C. It is D. Calm Wilkinson. Ken gets the point. Right. And note the priest in Les Miserables who gives it's Calm, Wil- yeah, Calm Wilkinson. Wilkinson. Yeah. Yes, cameo from the original Jean Valjean, literally giving the new Jean Valjean. The right of passage. <laughs> oh, that's really cool. I didn't realize that. Okay. Which Asian country below has its own language version of Les Miserables? Japan, China, Vietnam, Korea, or the Philippines? Japan. Japan. It's Japan. China. Oh, really? How'd you know that, Alan? I know things. Okay. You learn things. <laughs> you learn things in Chang's, I guess. We're a Chinese restaurant. I didn't say you were Japanese. I was just I didn't really I didn't think I didn't think about the, the country associated with it until after I said that actually. <laughs> okay. You're racist. Which character sing the song A Heart Full of Love? Let me read the answers. Marius, Cosette, Epidine, one and two, A-B. or one, two, and three. Or one and two. Oh, damn. Yep. Was it one and two? One, two, and three. One, two, and three. Yep. Marius Yes. That was yeah. yeah there you go. So fuck. Okay. Alright. Two more. Ugh. The original book author said that one of the characters in the story reflects himself when he was young. Which character is this? Jean Valjean, Andros, Cosette, Marius, or none of the above? Marius. It is Marius. Good job, Abe. Fitting that he wrote himself to survive the entire revolution. Okay. Last song. What scene it is for the song A Little Fall of Rain? Marius and Cosette first meet and fall in love. Jean Valjean and Javert is first. Eponine concert. dying. Is Eponine dying. Ken, you got it. Okay. Wow. Wow. I didn't even know that one was going to come up. Okay. Okay. Is it a tie for, it's a tie for eight between Abe and Ken. Yes. How did Alan not win this? <laughs> was not my one. I thought Alan had it in the bag. It was not my one. Oh, my God. So uh, I have a tiebreaker question. Okay. I'm, listen, even in quizzes and in marathons, I'm an actual <laughs> sprinter. Oh my god, I'm sorry. So wait, 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 I have a question for you. So are we just going to do a tiebreaker, or is this going to be open field? Because if Alan gets this, then we'll have to do it. I'm sorry, Alan, but Alan did not tie like you guys did. Uh, <laughs> I'm pulling for you, Alan. I want to do open field. I was... I say we do open field, but, fair, you know. It's a, it's a, I mean, what, you want to... Well, I'm sorry. Yes. You know what, Aaron? I didn't know you were racist towards Mexicans, because at any time... Anybody else... open, oh, my God. It's open field. But, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But Can have... we keep this, please, yes. in, the, in the podcast? Okay. Okay. It's, oh, it's no, this is an open field tiebreaker question. However, you need to let me read... Every... How does it feel? You need to let me read every single name before you shout one out, okay? Fine. okay. Fine. It's a perfect... Fine. It's a really good question for this, too, because it's not exactly a giveaway. I'm so glad hey. to get this question. Hey. What? Aaron, how does it feel that someone finally used a brown card on you? <laughs> D'Artagnan, uh, yeah, motherfucker. Okay. <laughs> we have to let us know ahead of time how many answers there are. Okay. So yeah. we know when there, to are, there was five answers, just as there always is. Okay. okay. Here we go. Who wrote the English lyrics for this musical? Elaine Boublil, David Foster, Herbert Kretzmer, Michael Crawford, or Claude Michel Schoenberg? Uh, Claude Michel Schoenberg. Herbert Kretzmer? Okay. The answer 
is Herbert Kretzmer. Alan, you just won this. <laughs> <laughs> Three-way tie. <laughs> Three-way tie win. <laughs> Three -way no, I'm not I'll share the win with everybody else. How about we all, we're all winners, except for Aaron. Except for Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> the house loses. I love your generosity, Alan. Oh, God. Oh, anytime. Anytime. I'd be happy I allowed you back into the game. Okay. I'd rather win a third of something than nothing of nothing. Okay. Let's go over box office, kind of, just because we didn't really predict anything. We've just been kind of letting it go because it's holiday schedule kind of messes things up. But so far, uh, both Django and Les Miserables have been making money, which is expected. Les Miserables has made a little, it's made more. It's been made, it's made 50. And they both made quite a bit on Christmas Day. I mean, Christmas Day is not like, especially on a Tuesday Christmas Day, they're not like the biggest opening day kind of days because they're, you know, Tuesdays and it's Christmas Day. But both made like respectable, what, like 15 and 19 million or something like that. And they've since earned over 40 million. Dan Django's at 42, 43 right now. William Zerob's at just under 50. And uh, they're going to continue to do that. They're going to, you know, they got plenty of time to continue making money. They'll probably both get over 100 million. And I don't even know what worldwide they've been doing so far, but I imagine William Zerob's probably going to do pretty well worldwide. So yeah, uh, good job, guys. Um, Hobbit still making money and it's still in first place, which is not unexpected, but. Still not, like, exactly setting the world on fire, but it's making a lot of money. I mean, it's, a, it's made over half a billion dollars. Like, it's, it's no one's worldwide, not domestically. That'd be weird. But, uh, okay. The Hobbit will conquer the world in small steps. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, let's, uh, let's, oh, we're going to talk next week. We're going to talk about next week. Next week, we're going to go over our top ten films of the year. Um, we, this will become our out now tradition, but this will be the second time we've done this. Um, not happy for that, right, Abe? Yeah, absolutely. It's always good to make these milestones. Yeah, so it's, it's pretty cool. And I know, Alan, you'll hopefully be a part of the, the podcast for that. I hope so, and not calling in halfway through. That'll be fun. Yeah, and um, I'm sure other frequent friend guests of the show will will certainly appear on that episode as well. And I, we do have some other things up our sleeve in terms of end-of-the-year-type episodes, so we'll be sure to detail those more in the coming weeks. But for now, just be aware that we're going to be talking about what we thought was the best of the year. Mm -hmm. Of this past year, um, so yeah, that's uh, that's gonna basically take us to our end here. That's gonna do it this week for Out Now with Aaron and Abe. You can find more of my work on my personal blog, thecodazeek.com, my the award-winning thecodazeek.com, where you can find all my written movie reviews as well as at whysoblue.com for Blu-ray reviews. And as uh, we, myself, and the other people at Whysoblue, we've all posted our top ten films, Blu-rays, and worsts of the year so you know feel free to check those out there I'll probably provide a link for that in the show notes and uh, you can find me at twitter at twitter.com slash aaronsps3 Abe you can find more fun stuff at walrusmoose.blogspot.com and twitter.com slash walrusmoose Alan <laughs> call back <laughs> um, you can find me on uh, um, twitter on mrdvdmrdvd and you can find me on Instagram at Aldo, A-L-D-O underscore R-A-Y-N-E. And you can see all this dumb stuff. And Aaron, I'm actually not going to do VHS Diaries anymore because I lost my VHS player. I'm actually going to start up a new um, a new blog at the beginning of the year. Okay. And cool. This isn't just confined to me reviewing VHS movies. Okay. Well, maybe next week or in the coming weeks you can reveal what that blog was. And I'll be eagerly anticipating looking forward to it. I will, yeah, as soon as I know what my domain name is, okay. I'll let you know. Okay, for sure, and I will I will be promptly deleting the VHS Diaries off of my own blog, so you can't link there anymore. <laughs> I didn't say I was done with the VHS Diaries. All right, fine. <laughs> Ken, any, any things you want to advise people on? Uh, yeah, I got no blogs or nothing, but uh, 
Uh, I would still suggest people go see the movie and uh, look both ways before you cross the street. That's what I got. Oh, Insightful is practical, practical advice. Almost as good as yeah, yeah. almost as good as the small short story that Christian Spicer told us for Django Unchained. Almost. <laughs> uh, for people that haven't heard that episode yet, be sure to check that one out because that's a that's a doozy. Um, so let's see. That's oh yeah. Um, you can find all the other episodes of Out Now Out There and Today on iTunes, of course, and also hhwlod.com, where you can find all the episodes there as well as the other shows at hhwlod, including the Walking Dead TV podcast, the Legion of Dudes, and other fun shows about comics and games and stuff with some cool guys that are happy to host our show along with theirs. Outnow.podomatic.com, you can find most of the newest episodes and some exclusives. Outnow at outnowpodcast at gmail.com send us your thoughts on what you thought of Lame Is how do you think it stacks up to the musical what do you think of Russell Crowe for instance other things you might want to write in about we are very curious um, and we'll be happy to read those on the air actually you know send us your top 10 list too I mean if you if there's listeners out there that have like a top 10 list or even top 5 or just you know movies in general that they want to sing the praises of be sure to re- email those in because we'd be happy to get those and read those on our uh, top 10 episode and uh, Facebook.com slash OutNowPodcast and Twitter.com slash OutNow underscore podcast. You can like and follow those pages and be sure to get all the updates and whatever else you desire in the realm of the OutNow universe can be found in those locations. I think that's going to do it for this week, Abe. Right? I think so. Okay. We've had a long week. Yeah. So until next time, so long. And goodbye. One day more, another day, another destiny, this never-ending road to Calvary. These men who seem to know my crime will surely come a second time, one day more. I did not live until today. How can I live when we are parted? One day more. Tomorrow you'll be walked away And yet with you my world has started One more day all on my own Will we ever meet again? One more day with him not caring I was born to be with you I swear I will be true But he never saw me there One more day before the storm I follow where she goes At the barricades of freedom Shall I join my brothers there? When our ranks begin to fall Do I stay? Do I dare? Take your place with me The time is now The end is here more One day more to revolution We will nip it in the bud We'll be ready for these schoolboys They will wet themselves One with blood more. Watch them run amok Catch them as a fool Never know your luck when there's a free for all Here's a little dip very little touch. Most of them are gone, and so they won't be smudged. One day, two, and you can be free.
my place is here. I fight with you. Tomorrow is the time.